Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the wisdom that it contains that we keep exploring week after week as we work our way through the story of this family, as we work our way through the story of Genesis. And it's, it's such an encouragement to me how this story holds together, not just the story of Genesis, but the whole book, the whole Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. And as we think about the scraps of our life, kind of what feels like a fragmented bits and pieces, we're, we're confident that you are holding our lives together, that you're ordering them in such a way as to uh, bring us more and more into the image of Christ, to make us recipients of the full consummation of your kingdom, inheritors of it. I pray that you would give us a sense of that this morning as we consider your word, that we would be uh, buoyed amidst life's difficulties in your care for us. We pray in Christ's name, amen. So in the early 1990s, there was a character on Saturday Night Live named Stuart Smalley, and he wore uh, pastels and kind of flowing sweaters, and he had this blonde, wispy hair, and there would be, in the intro to this program that he did um, called Daily Affirmations, there would be a little montage of pictures where he's hugging himself, and he's you know, doing all these things, and he's saying things to himself like this, I deserve good things. I am entitled to my share of happiness. I refuse to beat myself up. I am an attractive person. I am fun to be with. And then you would see Stuart in the mirror saying to himself, I'm smart enough. I'm, <laughs> I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And doggone it, people like me. And it was funny because Stuart, as we learned in the intro, was not a licensed therapist but he was a member of many 12-step programs. He had no credibility, but he was just laying it on thick to himself. And it was clear, as you watch these little skits, it was clear that Stuart's life was a mess, that what he was presenting was just a facade for all sorts of turmoil in his life. And what these daily affirmations reminded us of is that they really didn't work. Like, our insecurities are too strong for ourselves to overcome. You can't talk yourself into blessedness. It has to come from the outside. A blessing upon your life has to come not from within you, but from outside of you. The myth is that you have the resources you need to get along in life. And we, you know, we often say, well, I don't care what they think. I don't care what they think. But we do. We're all shaped by what they, you know, whoever it is, what they think. We're shaped by the words that have come to us from the outside. You know, people say they don't care what other people say, and then they spend their lives in counseling trying to deal with what a parent or a teacher or a grandparent or someone said to them. Like, words matter. They're powerful. And as Christians, we believe that they are especially powerful, that they leave a mark in our lives, that God made, the God made the world through words, that he's saving the world through the word made flesh, Jesus, and that by the preaching of the word, he is raising up, the Holy Spirit is raising up a new, a new society, a, a new people, the people of God. So words are important. And as we come 
to the end of the book of Genesis, we're seeing words of blessing pouring forth from Jacob to his sons. And we're going to spend two weeks looking at this. Uh, in, in this first week, he is going to uh, extend blessing to his, he's going to adopt and then bless his grandsons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Now, the book of Genesis has had blessings all the way through it. At the very beginning, when God created the world, he blessed what he had made. And then following humanity's rebellion from God by eating the fruit, their disobedience, life began to fray. The, the creation began to fray. Social relationships between man and woman and peoples and wars began to fray. But most fundamentally, our relationship with God began to fray. And there, were, there was cursing associated with that, associated with our rebellion against God. But in Genesis chapter 12, it marks a turning point. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, the word blessing shows up five times. Five times. It's just boom, boom, boom. And all of a sudden, we realize that God, through this family of faith, Abraham and his descendants, Isaac, Jacob, and now the next generation, God is doing something really big. God is up to blessing. Listen to how James McCowan puts it. Genesis chapter 12 is a turning point in the book of Genesis from an agenda dominated by cursing to one dominated by blessing. In the, now, what we just read was a blessing ceremony. And we may look at that, and it may seem kind of foolish, kind of silly, like what's going on? But it's powerful. It is powerful. Stuart Smalley was right. Like, words of blessings are powerful things, but he was wrong in thinking that they could come from the individual themselves. They have to come from the outside. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. Um, the blessing, two points this morning. The blessing and the blesser. So the blessing and the blesser. Now, Jacob here is at the end of his life, we see. And what happens in this passage here, as I said earlier, he both adopts Joseph's sons, his grandsons, and then blesses them. Now, we've already seen Jacob bless the Pharaoh, right? He did that a few, few weeks ago in, in the passage, and now he's about to uh, uh, bless his children. But first, he must adopt them. Look at verse 1, Manasseh and Ephraim. It says, um, verse 1, after this, Joseph was told, your father is ill. And he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, and it was told to Jacob, your son Joseph has come to you. And then Israel summoned his strength, and he sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan, and blessed me, and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a company of peoples, and will give you this land." to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon are. And so, he, and so Jacob takes the step to adopt Joseph's oldest two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And it's a ceremony, verse 8, it says, when Israel saw his sons, he said, who are these? It mentions that he's sort of, he's losing his sight. Um, 
He knows who they are. This is like a ceremony. It's like when a clergyman says to the, to the, to the father of the bride, who gives this woman in marriage, right? The, the clergy, he knows the answer. He's met the father before, but it's a, it's a ceremony. It's, and so that's what's happening. He says, who are these? And, and he knows them. He's lived there for 17 years, right? He's been in the land with, and by the way, J, uh, Joseph's sons are about 20 at this point in time. So they're adults. He knows them. And then verse 11 Moving down, Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Right? Remember just how incredible this this moment is incredible for Jacob. This is the resurrection of the dead, right? And not just the resurrection of the dead in Joseph, but he also sees Joseph's offspring. Who would have thought? that this would happen. It's an incredible moment for Jacob. And so Joseph removed the boys from his knees. Now, that, the reason they're on his knees, it's, it's, it's thought that this was some, it was almost like Jacob was birthing these sons as his own. And so the adoption ceremony is over, and now Jacob, it says, bows his, himself to the ground, which begins the ceremony of blessing. Verse 13. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim, in his right hand, toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand, toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. And he issues forth the blessing. It's it's described in verses 15 and following. The God before whom my father Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in them, let my name be carried on in the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. And so he blesses the boys. It's said there, bless the boys. Carry on the great name. Remember remember what God said to Abraham? I will make your name great. The very thing that the people of Babel sought through their own power and strength. God says, I will give you a great name. And now Jacob is telling his, his grandsons, several generations down from Abraham, may your name be great. And may you grow in multitude. And that's it. That's the ceremony. Pretty simple, right? Almost too simple. We look at it and we're kind of like, well, what, you know, what just happened there? Walter Brueggemann, one of the commentators, says, what? What did the, he wonders, what did the Egyptians think? If the Egyptians were like kind of watching this thing, this thing would have been somewhat public. If the Egyptians were watching, what did they think? He says, if, if, if the Egyptians were watching, Brueggemann says, it must have seemed ludicrous, this whole ceremony. Such sacramental, symbolic acts must always appear absurd to the empire. Remember, the empire builds itself by sight and in the power of the flesh. Egypt is accustomed to grasping at things, grasping at land, and having it quickly. But when one waits for the land, as Israel does, there is no way to force the issue. One must only wait. Blessings are for waiting. Laying on of hands is for hoping. The grandsons can't receive more than that. And the grandfather can't give more than that. And it doesn't matter if the empire cannot understand. If life in the flesh, 
grabs at things, tries to take things. Life in the Spirit waits. It clings not to things, but to promises. The promises of God. And here's the thing. You may think, well, aren't these things kind of like pie in the sky, just sort of wishful thinking? You know, we hope everything turns out all right. No. These words are actually validated by history. What Jacob is saying, it comes to fruition. It's true. They're true words. Listen to what one commentator says. The following history of Israel would show that it was God's hand behind the hands of Jacob that laid upon them. Because following the Exodus, when the people, uh, the census following the Exodus notes that Ephraim and Manasseh are 72,000 men strong. And 40 years later, they spike to 85,200 men. Reuben and Simeon, by contrast, and we'll look at their blessing next week, they're at 105,800 men strong following the Exodus, and they decline dramatically to 65,930 in the same period. The blessing of Jacob, the words of, of Jacob here, actually materialize in about 400 plus years. The words of blessing are powerful. Words of blessing create what they describe. And you may think, well, how does that work? Is it because they're like magic magic incantations? incantations? No, that's not it. To, To understand the power of the blessing, we have to look at the blesser. So we just looked at the blessing. Now the second point is the blesser. Now again, Stuart Smalley, our friend, would say, you help you. That's how it works. You help you. You've got it within you to help. But what, what the biblical view is and the Christian view is that blessings come from outside of us. Manasseh and Ephraim are not looking into the mirror and speaking these blessings to themselves. They're being received from Jacob. Powerful words from their grandpa. Now, we know this. I mean, think, think the individualism that gave rise to Stuart Small. I, Go back and watch some of these YouTube videos. They're kind of funny. But it's almost amazing how what seemed like such a caricature in the early 90s has actually kind of become sort of like standard MO in, in public life. But the, the, the view of, 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 of Smalley and our culture at large is that you have within you what you need to bless yourself, to, to make yourself feel validated in this world. But here's the irony to that. Even that individualism has been communicated to us culturally. Like you didn't come up with that on your own. You didn't come up with that individually. It was a culture that communicated those things to you through the movies you watched, the books you read, the music you listened to. All of it was conforming us to this kind of individualism that exists. And we know that we need something outside of us. Have you ever been blessed in your life by powerful words from maybe a parent or a grandparent or a teacher or a professor or a coach or a counselor or another kind of instructor? It's powerful. Those words stick with you. Those words have a kind of a shaping effect on your life. Conversely, If you've been cursed by a parent or a grandparent or a teacher or instructor, professor, whatever, those words also have effects in your life. 
They shape. They have the power to shape. And here, the boys, Manasseh and Ephraim, are being blessed by, by their grandpa, by Jacob, someone outside of them. Right? And so l- let me ask you, parents and even grandparents, are you extending the gift of blessing to your children and to your grandchildren? Are you affirming them in their gifts? Not, not blowing you know, sunshine their way, not false, giving them false sense of, of affirmation, but in the, in the gifts that God has given them. Are you affirming them? Like God, is your parenting agenda marked by an agenda of blessing rather than cursing or rather than pointing out all the failures that your kids have? Bless your kids. It's powerful. God's agenda in the Scriptures from Genesis 12 all the way to Revelation is dominated by an agenda of blessing. And our parenting agenda should be dominated with that agenda as well. Bless your kids. Bless those in your life. Speak words of encouragement to them. We need them. But here's the thing. Even if you blessed your children to the max, there would still be something. It still wouldn't achieve its purpose. Your kids would still feel a bit adrift. They would still feel as though they needed something more. And it's true, they do. They need something more. The boys, the grandsons, need something more than the blessing of their grandfather. And guess what? They're getting it here. Because this isn't Jacob's blessing. This is the blessing of God coming to them by way of Jacob. Look at verse 15 again. He says it, Jacob, the God before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked, the God who's been my shepherd all my life, the angel, likely the angel who he wrestled with, who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. This is not just Jacob's blessing, it's God's blessing upon the boys. And that's where the power is. That's how it comes to fruition. It's God's blessing. And as I said at the very beginning, Matt Champlin has said that in Genesis, the blessing of God is his relational presence in a person's life. The blessing of God is God's relational presence in your life. And I guess the question would be, what more could you want? The blessing of God, this is the validation that we long for. This is what we want and need. This is, this is why we get so troubled when we look at Instagram or Twitter or LinkedIn or whatever it is and feel like, oh, I come up short. We, that, those things wouldn't even bother us if we were secure in the blessing of God and God's care for us. That's what we need. Our life must be tied in to God. You can't steward smallly your way through life. You need validation from the outside. You need your Creator's blessing. And that's what the boys get here. And it's powerful. One commentator calls, calls blessing a baptism in hope. And don't we need that? A baptism in hope, this sense that God is really with us, that He's present in our lives. Now, you may be thinking, well, that, this all makes sense. I, I understand we need God's blessing, but, but my question is, how can I be sure that I have God's blessing in my life? 
right? I mean, I, I couldn't please my parents. I couldn't please my coach or my teacher or my boss. I can't please them, much less God Almighty. So what hope do I have? It's a really good, it's a really good question. It's an important question. And there's, a, there's actually a powerful answer to the question. Do you remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? Matthew chapter 5, he opens it with the Beatitudes, and right out of the gate, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What do you think he meant by that? Blessed are those who have an impoverished sense of themselves. Blessed are those who are asking the question, how can I know if I have God's blessing? I'm a failure. I'm a wreck, morally, gifted-wise, skill-wise, all of these things. I, I don't have what it takes to get God's blessing. Jesus says, well, you have God's blessing. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who have this keen sense of their impoverished state before God. Now, I want you to notice, this is really significant. It's kind of an interesting, it's the most interesting piece of this whole story here that we just read. Picture what's going on in verses 12 and following. Joseph takes Manasseh, his oldest, the firstborn, and puts him in his left hand, or left side. He probably, you know, kind of puts him on his side. He takes Ephraim and puts him on his right side. And he's walking toward Jacob so that when Jacob lays his hands on the boys, his right hand, Jacob's dominant hand, the priority of the blessing, goes to the oldest, Manasseh. Make sense? And then the other, the left hand goes to Ephraim, the secondborn. And that's, that's how it works. But guess what? Jacob does one of these. <laughs> he crosses his hands. He throws the whole thing off. Look, look at verse 17. Joseph can't believe it. He, when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. And he took his father's hand to move it. Like, no, you're doing this wrong. we got to get this hand over here. So he actually moves his hand. And Joseph said to his father, not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn, put your right hand on his head. He gets the, the better share. He gets the firstborn share. Come on, dad. Like, you know, jo Jacob's getting old, right? Maybe it's just kind of a senior moment that's, that is being experienced, but that's not what it is. Jacob, it's not a mistake. Look at verse 19. Jacob refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He shall become a great people, and he also shall, shall be great, right, Manasseh. Nevertheless, his younger brother, Ephraim, shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations, and so he blessed them. We're seeing that sly old Jacob has one last trick up his sleeve, the cross of the hands. And it's, it's by design, because you'll notice in the passage Joseph keeps calling his sons Manasseh and Ephraim, Manasseh and Ephraim, you know, prioritizing the firstborn, naturally. Jacob keeps calling them Ephraim and Manasseh. Jacob keeps reversing the order. It's not a mistake. Like, this is intentional. And the reason it's so important and so significant is because it gets us to the heart of the faith. Jacob's life has been defined by... Remember Jacob? Remember Rebecca, Jacob's mother? having these twins in her, in her womb, and they're wrestling, they're fighting, they're contending with one another. And there was an oracle that came to them from God, that came to Rebekah. 
that said, the older shall serve the younger, right? Inversion. And what we said way back at Christmas time when we looked at that passage was that this inversion shows us what God is like. That God keeps showing preference for the younger brothers. Think about it. Abel over Cain. Isaac over Ishmael. Jacob over Esau. David over his brothers. And on and on and on the pattern goes. The secondborn, the thirdborn, the lastborn over the firstborn. What is God trying to teach us through this? What does it all mean? It's very important. God is prepping us for the grand inversion. Do you know what Paul calls Christ? The firstborn of all creation. That from all eternity, the Son and the Father have been united to one another. They're one. And the Father from all eternity has been extending the blessing of the Father to the Son eternally. But remember Christ pinned to a tree. What does He say? Aloy, aloy, lemma sabachthani. Which means, my God, my God, why have You forsaken Me? On the cross, Jesus Christ, the firstborn of the Father, was receiving not the blessing of God, but the curse of God. So that we, on the outside looking in, might receive the blessing of the firstborn. So that we might receive the blessings of God. Paul says in Ephesians that we get, in Christ, we get every spiritual blessing. We're considered the first. In fact, the book of Hebrews calls us the assembly of the firstborn. That we who are on the outside are getting the blessing of the firstborn. You see how God is designing this into His plan of salvation? This inversion defined, has defined Jacob's whole life. It's powerful. And here's the thing. It defines our life too. It defines our life too. Let's, let's pray. Our Father, we thank You for Your work on the cross, that you have, um, that you received the curse so that we might receive the blessing. And the blessing, not just a general blessing, but the blessing of the firstborn. Every spiritual blessing is ours in Christ. Everything that is Christ is ours. And we give you thanks for that. These are promises that are by and large in the future. So help us to cling to them. Help us to trust them. Help us to walk by faith, just as the family of faith has here. Longing, yearning, waiting. While Egypt grabs, they wait. Help us to be willing to wait. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.